I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Church has given us several Sundays to enter into some of the essential aspects of the mystery of our faith, um, primarily baptism and Eucharist right after Easter. And then as we hit the halfway mark, the Gospels are leading us towards preparation for the ascension, preparation for this absence of the sacred humanity of Christ, which is going to bring about a sort of a grief for the disciples who were accustomed to having him with them. And this is a grief, this is a sorrow that does not end in death, but rather, and we have to be careful too, that how we deal with our own sorrows, our own grief, and our own joys as well, where are they placed? True sorrow, the, 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 the beatitude of blessed are those who mourn. This is not a sorrow of, in the, on the level of a pity party. It's not feeling sorry for ourselves. It's not being depressed or anxious. It's not a sorrow, as St. Paul would say, a sorrow that is brought upon by this world. This mourning that our Lord is speaking about is precisely this longing for him, this missing him, but also seeing these things in the world around us. And we think about all of these agents of the demon Moloch who would disrupt the holy sacrifice in favor of their child sacrifice, this ought to cause us a certain grief, because, not because it affects us, not because I feel badly, but because it grieves the Lord's heart deeply, and therefore we go to him to make acts of reparation. We go to him to reaffirm our loyalty, our love, our adherence to him. And thereby, that sorrow is turned to joy because we're not allowing it to sow seeds in our own heart, but we're going to the sacred heart to bring him something that he doesn't have, which is our own loyalty, something we have to constantly, has a very short, short shelf life. We have to constantly renew it our adherence to him. You know, we mentioned last week that the virtue of religion on, on the Feast of St. Joseph, the virtue of religion is not something that is limited to what happens in the sanctuary in the pews. The virtue of religion is true worship in all of our thoughts, words, and deeds. Otherwise, it's schizophrenic. To think that I can be one way in mass and another way at home when I'm alone or at a party if I'm not the same person, there's a problem there. And it's also a call. It's a call to be reintegrated. Reintegrated into a true follower of Christ who is not satisfied with the petty things this world offers us. And a good test for us is how do I confront grief over a loved one? How do I confront things that go wrong, financial disasters, do they make me want to find solace in created things, binge-watching and eating or whatever it may be? Where do I go 
Do I go to Gethsemane to accompany Christ? Do I pray to him? Do I entrust myself to him? Or do I seek a certain satisfaction in creatures, which will certainly lead to the sorrow of this world, which leads to an everlasting frustration? On the other hand, the, the irony of this mourning with Christ is it gives birth to joy, true joy, which comes from the possession of Christ. Imagine the, the angels and the blessed souls, they possess our Lord as much as they're going to possess him. They behold, his, they behold the blessed trinity without a veil. They are perfectly fulfilled, each one according to the degree of charity in their soul. So heaven is not equal. Heaven is not flat, okay? Heaven is not flat. It, it, the degree of joy in heaven will depend on how well each one of us fulfilled God's will in this world and the degree of charity at the moment of the divorce of body and soul. The degree of charity in my soul at the moment of my death is the degree of charity I will have for eternity. And there's going to be no opportunity for merit after that. And so, where do I find my joy? Is it in him? Is my sorrow because he is offended? If that's the case, I'm on a good path. And I ought to have a certain, I ought to experience an emptiness in this life, an emptiness of whatever this world promises. And usually as we progress in the spiritual life, those things that used to be hobbies, those things that used to really interest us, they become rather irksome. They seem to get in the way. Not because I'm getting depressed, not because one is becoming a, an, a, a misanthropic curmudgeon, but because Christ starts to claim more and more of our hearts the more we get to know him, the, the deeper we go into our relationship with him. He is a jealous lover. He doesn't want to be number one in a list of loves. He wants to be the only love. And then, as a consequence, all the other loves, in a pure way, are subsumed by that. So how do we exercise this healthy mourning and this adhesion to him? We have adoration here at certain times of the month. St. John the Evangelist Parish in Greenfield has perpetual adoration. And we all know what it is to go into adoration and to wish it could never end, but we have to go on with our lives and do what we have to do, and we leave. It doesn't have to end, though. We can have, if we want, a perpetual adoration of the heart in which we are cultivating the awareness that we are under the loving gaze of the Father. The Blessed Trinity lives in our souls through grace, and we direct our loving gaze towards Him. You can do this in your showering, when you're eating, when you're conversing with others, when you're watching a movie, when you're driving, being aware that you are in God's loving presence and gazing back at him with a simple act of love of the heart and mind. 
This is not quietism. This is what's expected of a true lover. When you're in love with someone, you're always thinking about that someone. And there's no conflict in cultivating this perpetual adoration of the heart while we're doing all of the other things we need to do throughout the day. That will also relativize many of the things that have a, perhaps a hold on our heart, a sort of a, a disordered attachment. That will purify it and put it in its proper place. And so we're not Manichaean saying that material things are evil, but rather they're relative. And we have to relativize them, put them in their proper place so they don't occupy a part in our heart that is disproportionate. And so the church gives us these readings to prepare us for this goodbye of Christ, which we know is also a promise. And it's a promise that he fulfills because he is the truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.